I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Happy Friday. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down at the Boston studio. We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. we got a great show for you guys today, as always. Uh, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Check us out on DraftKings YouTube, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV Plus, and more coming up soon, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through far- Friday, Fun one today. Uh, we got some great guests coming through here. We will talk to our good buddy and more so do a wellness check with uh, Jared Carabas as yeah. we see the state of Boston Red Sox just slowly whittling and dwindling away. We'll also talk to Jason Cabinda from the 1-0 undefeated Detroit Lions as they get set to head into week two. Um, very exciting stuff there. But, Dad, Jesse, uh, coming off Thursday night football last night, uh, <laughs> This doesn't really feel like we can keep doing the primetime Kirk Cousins thing anymore, does it? When you've thrown for like 700 yards through two weeks, it doesn't seem like your fault in a game that featured four lost fumbles by the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, uh, th- this wasn't pretty. One of them by by a Kirk Cousins, but it was a blindside hit, so he yeah. ne- never saw the player coming at all. Four fumbles, a costly one by Justin Jefferson after catching a pass and trying to reach for the end zone. He fumbles it out of the back of the end zone, so it's a touchback for the other team. I'm not really sure I still dig that rule. Uh, but as a former defensive player, I guess I should like it. And and it seems that the two teams didn't like the article that came out in our discussion on the, the long ball is dead in the NFL because <laughs> there were a couple Ooh. of hoisted uh, balls here going deep for completion. So uh, they, they weren't living that life. But 
But this was a game of, of two different sides, uh, right? I mean, you had one side in the Vikings passing it 40 sometimes and the other side in the Eagles running it some 40 times, including those two, they call them tush pushes for the Eagles or the quarterback sneak for Jalen Hurts to get into the end zone, which I still hate. But, hey, more power to him for doing it. Yeah, Man, guys, Dan, uh, that yeah. week one uh, loss to Tampa for for the Bucks. the Vikings now have become the first NFL team since 2003 to lose six fumbles in the first two games of a season. So real sloppy. <laughs> yeah, wow. it, it, it is incredibly sloppy. It's also one of those things, Dad, that almost makes you feel a little bit better about what the Vikings can be going forward because that kind of bad turnover luck and fumble luck usually doesn't hold over a long-term sample size. And you can look beside that and say, well, were it not for them? And I mean, in comically bad fashion and so often in rapid succession early in that game, they gave up the ball. The Eagles were able to pile on early and the Vikings, once they stopped turning the ball over, surprise, surprise, were able to move the ball late. We mentioned they throw the ball about 75% of the time. They attacked the Eagles at all the places we saw, we thought, right? TJ Hawkinson had a big game. We figured backup linebacker, backup safety in because of the injury and backup corner on the other side. You were going to try and test him deep. You were going to try and test him in the middle. The Vikings did both to great success when they could just hold on to the football. And so if you're Minnesota, we've talked all season about how they're uh, preseason, about how they're prime candidates for regression, about how they won too many close games in a way that's going to be hard to replicate. But they've been able to move the ball despite it being pretty obvious we're throwing it to Justin Jefferson with a side of Jordan Addison. And so, Dad, does that make you feel a little bit better about Minnesota going forward despite the 0-2 start? Well, it makes me feel better about the offense. The defense is still a, a struggle. And and when you're an offense, you better be a high-scoring offense with a defense like that. And certainly, turnovers are going to ruin you anyway. But there have been a couple of teams that could afford turnovers. You go way, way back to the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner and them. Kurt always said, I didn't care about turning the ball over because I knew our defense was good and we could score a ton of points. You know, this isn't the same for Minnesota. Their defense isn't good enough to overcome something like that. But their offense gets close. I mean, you mentioned it, you know, Addison averaging 24 yards on three catches. Justin Jefferson, it's kind of like the Cooper Cup syndrome, or they're, they're the same, and you know the ball is going to them, yet they can't be stopped. It blows my mind how that happens, yet it keeps has- happening, why Justin Jefferson is uh, considered the best receiver and certainly proving it the best receiver in the league last year's Offensive Player of the Year. But, you know, th- this is one, as you mentioned, you know, the, the Eagles jumped out on him, scored a couple of uh, touchdowns after a 13-7 half. The two next touchdowns, all, the, all of a sudden, they're up 27-7 they're up to on this team. You think this is a blowout. And this is where, flipping to the Eagles' side, they got to be careful. I mean, you can't have a lead like this, try to be in the Super Bowl last year. The next step is to, act, to win the Super Bowl like they did a few years ago, giving up points like this late. It does show me, Mike, yes, Minnesota – can score, but their defense isn't good enough, I think, to keep going back and forth like that. But uh, But. it is for a team that's going to have an interesting scenario with their quarterback. Remember, they're still 0-2, and we have the stats for 0-2 and making the playoffs. Uh, Kirk Cousins is a free agent next year. They probably don't want to tag this guy for the amount it would be to tag him. You're going to sign him for a more long-term, or are you just going to let him go as a free agent because people are starting to bubble up about if your season isn't going well, do you trade Kurt Cousins to get something for him? 
Yeah, it's one of those where I do wonder if deep down Vikings fans look at this season and maybe prefer that outcome because Kirk Cousins, right, wrong, or indifferent, has been a very good quarterback. I think his Q ratings at an all-time high coming off of that quarterback series where people got to see the hard work, all the dedication, all the things that he puts into the game, but he's felt like a quarterback with a ceiling ever since you brought him there. And remember, going back to 2017 – the Vikings were one of those teams that made it to conference championship weekend with a backup quarterback in at the time and then decided to bring Kirk Cousins in as the thought that he would help put them over the top. And that has not happened. And so especially when you've been paying him that kind of money, because Kirk Cousins is the one dude that looks at the tag and goes, ah, old friend, good to see yeah. you again, <laughs> considering he made his entire NFL livelihood by betting on himself against the tag and Washington doubled it up. So, yeah, I, I do think, Dad, there has to be part of that Minnesota Vikings fan base that says, all right, if this season ends up being a wash, I think Kevin O'Connell is going to get a pass if you can go and either flip Kirk Cousins or decide to move on this offseason and see if, hey, you're bad enough to be near the top of the draft and have potential to get one of the right. great quarterbacks right. that we've talked about or get in the trade market this offseason for those guys. You mentioned the stat, Dad. Uh, we'll start to see this pop up over the weekend as we get to week two, but dating back since a merger in 1970, 400 NFL teams have started the season with two losses out of the gate. Only 39 of them, including last year's Bengals, made the playoffs, and just four of those teams reached the Super Bowl. Three of them won it, and those three teams were the 07 Giants, the 01 Patriots, and the 93 Cowboys. So going to be hard to replicate for anybody that takes that second L coming up this weekend. Dad, it is interesting you brought up the big play aspect of this. Brian Flores takes over as the Vikings defensive coordinator this year. And in a league that has gone to lots of two deep safeties back and taking everything away, we have seen clearly through for the first two games of the season, the identity of Brian Flores showing up again. It is everybody up at the line of scrimmage. I have to imagine Wink Martindale sheds a single tear watching <laughs> somebody else live life like him recklessly on the edge. Do you think they're going to be able to hold up like that over the course of a long season? We saw no. him with, you know, part Partially, you know, we've seen that be effective last year's Miami Dolphins defense operating in that way. But Minnesota, not necessarily with the personnel that the, that the Miami Dolphins had on defense. No, Minnesota's not a good enough defense to to live life that way. Living life that way means you make big plays and you give up big plays. They're going to give up more big plays than they make, I think. And I think that's going to going to be the issue. So if that's what Brian Flores is going to stick with, you're going to, you know, they'll live by the sword, die by the sword. They they may die more than a few deaths already sitting at 0-2 on the year. So while I understand that, and let me let me just say, as a defend, former defensive player, I loved that aspect more up in the front seven. The back seven, the back, you know, the end of this, maybe not so much because if you don't, if you don't get home, you know, you're in you're in coverage, you're in man coverage, especially when you're in man. You got to hold that for a while, and that's very, very difficult to do with the athletes on the other side, with the rules the way they are right now. So it's a, it's going to be a tough road for Minnesota. That's why I think their storyline may be: What do you do with Kirk Cousins as we keep going? As you just gave the stats for zero and two, a fun team to watch. They throw it around. Justin Jefferson is absolutely all all he's cracked up to be, uh, but they're just they're just not going to be able to get the wins and. You saw it again last night, 44 passes and nine runs. And again, this was a 13-7 ball game at halftime. And then for Philadelphia, it was 23 passes and 48 runs. They were living on the run. And you love when a guy steps in. Kenneth Gainwell was out for this game, one of the four guys out for the Eagles that were injured. 
DeAndre Smith steps in, gets 175 yards, 133 of those after contact. So that old line uh, was was blocking well. Though, I will say, though, Mike, Jalen Hurts got sacked four times, got hit some in the first game as well. A little bit, a little bit, getting a little bit interesting on that old line, which is considered one of the best in the league. Yeah, I, I think it was interesting. A lot of those, a couple of those, I should say, came in three man rush situations where it felt more like because Jalen had to hold the ball for so long, eventually things just gave way. It has been jarring to see at the beginning, but remember, Dad, this is also an Eagles offense that I think. And I, I need to check numbers on this, but anecdotally, it seems like is running less RPO stuff this year now that Shane Steichen is gone. And so that was getting the ball out of Jalen's hands a little bit quicker. That was different tempo and cadence for this offense, where on some of these downs and distances, he's been holding the ball for a while because they're dropping eight back. And it's led to some of those situations. So it, it, it has been interesting to watch that dad for that Eagles team. You're right. Still deadly on the ground. And man, Life can be so simple when you're built the way they are in the trenches on both sides, right? Because the Eagles offense was not some sort of mirage of creative runs or some sort of, it was blunt force trauma. Yeah. It was, they're going to line up with like either two tight ends on the backside, one tight end on the backside and run inside zone at you over and over again. And just let Jordan Mailata cave in one side of the defensive line and let DeAndre Swift run, who by the way, dad, we should have seen this coming despite three yards in the opener. And Nick Sirianni said, we're going to get him more than that. They just needed to insert another Georgia player. The Eagles have become the Georgia Bulldogs of the Northeast, and he realized, oh, I just need to get him closer to the rest of his Georgia Bulldog brethren, and his strength will come out, and it did last night. Yeah, look, it's stunning with the amount of Georgia players. What Jalen Carter did right out of the gate last week, he'll push in that pocket. Jordan Davis gets a sack last night. But, yeah, listen, that's what we talk about when you have depth. So you got your start and running back out. You put your back up in, though. DeAndre Sift, I think, would have been used, uh, started to be used more, like Sirianni said. And he has himself a monster game. So they, they are a running team that can back it up with great passes because they have a couple of receivers to do that in Brown and Smith, right? So, I mean, and Goddard, by the way, a tight end. Did you What did you make, Dad, last night of the argument? We saw on the sideline cameras caught A.J. Brown arguing with Jalen Hurts' as quarterback. We don't know about what, but there seemed no. to be a little bit of a disagreement on the sideline. A.J. Brown not targeted a ton in this game, had a touchdown called back because of a holding call on the running back there, and Nick Sirianni had to kind of come over and break it up. This feels like one of those things that people will tend to freak out about because it's a primetime game because we got the great spider cam footage of it when really, Dad, it's just the love language of the sideline, right? Receivers want the ball. People get hot and bothered on the sideline. And then you kind of go back and just turn the page because communication can be blunt in this sport. So Goddard had the most targets. He had seven targets, six catches. Then A.J. Brown, six targets, four catches. And Devontae Smith, five targets, four catches. So all around the same. And listen, you've heard me say this so many times, Mike. I put nothing, nothing into those sideline rants, as long as they're about football. Um, you know, of what's going on on the field, because that that's in the moment. We don't know what went on in that play or in that series or whatever uh, that made that confrontation happen. But I put absolutely positively nothing into those on the field during a game. What do you mean you don't think about the Roman Empire multiple times a game? It's ridiculous. <laughs> All men think about the Roman Empire at least three times a day. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.
Dad, the the last like bit of like contract because this was the result we expected in this game. Yeah. Philadelphia yeah. to continue to subsist on having one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, a defensive line that saw Jalen Carter exploit some of the injuries in the middle of it last night and make some of those big flash plays. Jordan Davis, by the way, getting loose on pass rush reps here. Go off, big fella. That's a literal grizzly bear. Kirk Cousins had to have shades of Dexter Lawrence hitting him in that playoff loss in the last play of the game, seeing that guy bearing down on him. But, Dad, the, the rule that came up last night, the fumble out of the back of the end zone, I'm amazed I've lived long enough to see people arguing in favor of that last night. I was I never thought that that would come. It makes no sense where everywhere else on the field, if you fumble the ball out of bounds, the ball goes back to the spot from which you fumbled. But once we get down to the end zone, for some reason, magic fairy dust gets sprinkled on this. And now all of a sudden it's a turnover to the other team. I have no understanding of why that should be the case. And I have no understanding of why people are arguing in favor of it all of a sudden. I, I, listen, I, I don't either because I, I think it's the – NFL trying to stop if you're getting close to the goal line that you fumble it on purpose into the end zone, you know, to still try and get a score. Uh, so they're saying, well, if you if that happens and it goes out of the end zone, you're going to lose the ball if we feel like you're doing that. I, I'm listen. I, I'm guessing because I, would say, I don't understand, and, it, and I, it makes no sense because the league incentivizes scoring at every turn. Why would you yes. want to de-incentivize guys trying to dive and guys trying to be aggressive and guys trying to go for the end zone? I, I agree. I, I don't understand why you can drive all the way down the field and then, you know, fumble out of the end zone and lose the ball. I, I don't get it. I, I would have thought it would just come back out. We already have rules in place last two minutes, you know, over time that whoever fumbles it, if it's on fourth down, they have to be the one to recover. That's that's a way to stop the automatic throw, the, you know, yes. the holy roller way, way, way back then with the Raiders, fumbling it on purpose forward now. The rule, you know, as I said in the last two minutes or, or in overtime, is basically if you fumble it, you have to be the same guy to recover it in that instance. So that, to me, kind of stops that situation. So uh, I, I, yeah. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't get it at all. Enjoy the discourse. It happened in a primetime game, so we get to legislate it all day today. The Eagles march on 2-0. The Vikings have real problems. But, Jesse, if we're going to talk about coaching effort, there was one very interesting instance that came up this last weekend that's now prompting the Bears to think about some things with their wideout Chase Claypool. Yeah, it's become apparent that the Bears are not happy with Chase Claypool. So some video emerged that we saw some a lackluster effort, okay, we'll, we'll say. We'll call it like that, that week one loss to Green Bay. So all this led – to the coaches being asked if Claypool needs some extra motivation here? I think Chase is motivated. I think he wants to do it. I think, uh, you know, he had a couple of plays where he didn't execute it, and, you know, that hurt us, and he knows that. But I th Chase wants to do it. I don't think it's a matter of him wanting. Blocking, that's, that's effort, isn't it? I mean, blocking. Uh, part of it, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a will. It's a it's a it's a knowing your assignment, execution. You guys have seen our run game. It's not an easy thing on the receivers. That's why we value the the people that can play multiple positions and do multiple things. Uh, so that's part of it. But yeah, effort is part of it, but it's only a part of it. So we're looking at all possibilities right now. You know, I'm not going to talk about who's going to be up and down for the game right now. Um, you know, for obvious reasons, but uh, we're looking at all all things to make our team better, who's going to be up and who's going to be down in terms of the active roster. Last thing on that, he went, Claypool went to the injury tent, I think, twice. Was that, was injury a factor in how he played Sunday, or did you think he was fine physically? There was, there was no injury reported. So, like, rumors are coming out that he could be benched here in week two. Also, worth pointing out that 
a report from Mark Silverman came out like three months ago that the Bears were unhappy with his mentality and effort during the offseason. Yeah, this one's interesting, Dad, and obviously going to be a trigger for a lot of people because, you know, I, I can always remember you and Mark Slayer at the line that, you know, just because you're a pro football player doesn't make you a professional. He's not the first wide receiver to slack off on certain plays when it comes to blocking, but especially when you're the big physical receiver and that has been a good part of your game, that can become apparent and pretty deadly pretty quick. There, and listen, I, I was told this by my dad growing up. I tried to tell you and Jake this about from the football side of it. When you guys were coming up into football, you can control two things. You can control your knowledge of the playbook on what your responsibility is, and you can control your effort. Those are two things that every player can control on every single play. Knowledge of the play and effort you give on that play. And let me tell you, you know this, Mike. If you get labeled as a guy who lacks effort, and you're right, especially at his size and his it, the thought of what he could do as a blocker, if you get labeled as that, that's a tough call. And obviously you, you get looked at a little bit as to why are you lacking effort. Now, he's not the first or the last to not give effort on a play. So I'm not going to single him out. He's just what we're talking about right now. And I'm just telling you, and Mike, you know this, you get tagged with that, that you're, you're, we're not sure about your effort down the field. That's something, unfortunately, that sticks with you until you really can make them prove it otherwise. Yeah, exactly. That and being called soft, probably the two things that athletes, I, I would say, dread the most because that's a label that's going to stick with you and run with you forever. So we'll have plenty more on the NFL coming up. Picks for you heading into this weekend on the college level as well. But coming up next, primetime just got a little bit spicier heading to Boulder this weekend. We'll get to some interesting comments next on Gojo and Goalie. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It is time to turn our attention to the college game with our Modelo College Football Weekend Preview brought to you by Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Guys, we are going to start this week's preview with a look at a big SEC matchup in the swamp. Yes, we are going to uh, take a look ahead at that. And, uh, Dad, this is fascinating um, going into this matchup. Florida's at a really interesting juncture in uh, their program life cycle. They got a lot of love this offseason for everything that went on in the recruiting. And they came out of the opening game of the season, these out-of-conference matchups that end up defining the sport. And they laid an egg to a Utah team that was down eight players, including their starting quarterback. And now they walk into a situation where 
anytime you're on the other side of history, it's not a good place to be for the head coach. And looking at this one, Tennessee, for all their success in the last couple of seasons, has not won in Florida since 2003. It's nine in a row that the Vols have lost to Florida in the swamp. They're six and a half point favorites heading into this weekend. And Billy Napier is 0-4 in rivalry games right now, Dad. So this is quietly a game that I know it's early in the season is going to start to make things mighty uncomfortable if they're not already in the swamp. If there's not some production on the field to start to match what they've seen happen off the the field and all the advancements around the program. Yeah, Vols won this game last year, 38-33 in Knoxville, but Florida scored, I think, twice in the last five minutes to make it probably a closer game than people thought. I agree with everything you said. They're going to start having the questions come up in Florida. Uh, should they fall in this game? And I think for Tennessee, aren't we still waiting for Milton to throw it 105 yards? I mean, we're still waiting for that. Have the ball on your own one-yard line, fade back and throw it the length of the field. I mean, that's all you hear is the great stories of him uh, and his arm strength. But I'm with you. I like Tennessee in this one. I would give the even I, – I, normally this game could be close like it was last year as Florida came back into it. But I feel I'm going to take Tennessee, I think, in this one and give the points. Yeah, it certainly feels like that's going to be the move here. I just haven't seen – and now, listen, ugly one – for Tennessee last week, trailed Austin P 6-3 late in the second yeah, quarter yeah. and then needed to kind of come back and turn it on in the second half. That game was a lot closer for a lot longer than it had any business being. Both of them are going to get some of the cavalry back here. Um, both centers are coming both centers. back from injury. You've got to be happy about that, right? I mean, I was just going to say both centers coming back. And, and all kidding aside, they're the anchor. They could be the anchors of that line. But I thought you get a special kick out of that, getting the, the, the two centers back being a former center. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing. And on both teams, listen, for Florida and what they want to do under Billy Napier, they want to start and live with the ground game. That's an outside zone-based scheme. They want to work all their play action stuff off that. And on the other side, Tennessee, while it gets the billing as a team that's going to hurry up and tempo to you death, we saw last year, and I think a lot of people met this through Darnell Wright, they want to run up on you on the ground. But I'm with you, Dad. I would probably take the Vols minus six and a half in this game. I think they get it going. I think there's that extra motivation and a rematch here. Um, yes. Remember... Uh, Joe Milton was the starter for Michigan in 2020 when Graham Mertz, I think, had his like coming out party game. Mertz yes, in Wisconsin, was, when he was the starter him. there, won 49 to 11 in the big house. I think, Mike, that is the epitome right now of college football. Yes. And the transfer portal is when you get guys that played against one another a couple of years ago starting against each other again. This is where we are now that we we've seen quarterbacks shifting a lot of players but obviously the eye is on the quarterback that stat right there epitomizes college ball and the transfers right now that is a cool one it's like the next version of what we saw last year in the backyard brawl with Pitt and West Virginia where you had Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels two guys that were once in the same quarterback room at USC yep. yes. both yep. playing against each other in a rivalry game last year uh, let's look at that one dad Pitt what Pitt at West Virginia the 106th installment of the backyard brawl and the first time Pitt has made the trip down to Morgantown since 2011 this was one of the longest running rivalries in the sport before the teams left the old Big East and everything changed around college football and both teams kind of limping into this game one yeah, and one yeah. with their only real tests of the season 
being losses, pit loss to West Virginia last week in a game where their quarterback, Phil Jerkovic, who was once at Notre Dame and then went to Boston College, had three touchdowns but completed just 31% of his passes. A lot of pit fans wondering what the situation's going to be there. And then West Virginia on the other side beating Duquesne but losing in the opener to Penn State, Dad. So I can't pick this game. I'm calling this game. What do you see out of this one as we head in West Virginia? I believe three-point favorites right now per DraftKings Sportsbook. Yeah, they have a nice right shirt freshman in Hudson uh, Clement, who coming off 177th yard, three touchdown uh, receiver in performance last week. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm not sure about this one. Um, point and a half for West Virginia. I, 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 think, I think I'll give them the home love there, and I think I'll take West Virginia and give the point and a half on this one. I, I don't feel confident either way on this one. These are two teams I really can't get a handle on just yet. Yeah, I, I think you look for Pitt. They've lost a lot in the last couple of years in the way of offense. Israel Batakonda, uh had, you know, they had a thousand yard rusher and a thousand yard receiver last year, both of which are gone now from that offense that also has a new quarterback coming in that has struggled, even though he's familiar with the offensive coordinator. Frank Signetti was uh, Phil's coordinator for two years at Boston College it just hasn't seen the talent go out there and necessarily match the production yet uh, with the two of them. And so it's going to be, I think, tough sledding on both sides. That pit defense, though, one of the most consistent in football last year. They have been dead in the last four seasons. Pit football, top two in sacks per game. They averaged over right. three yeah. and a half sacks a game in the 2022 season. Now, you lose Kalijah Kansi, who is a consensus All-American last year on the defensive line. They're going to be looking for someone to step up in his set, but that's a group that's going to constantly heat you up. So for Neil Brown, Garrett Green, and that West Virginia offense, you know exactly the brand of football you're going to get from the other side. It's like you said, can you get it over the top to some of those good wide receivers while you're under that duress? You know, or, you know, you could see West Virginia just slamming the ball. They did it against Duquesne, though, an FCS school rushing for over 300 yards. But Pittsburgh gave up 216 yards when they lost to Cincy in week one, gave it up on the rush. So you wonder if that'll be the attack there. And, you know, for West Virginia, is Neil Brown, is, is how much of a hot seat is he on? Yeah. It's his fifth year, right? 23 and 26. Uh, so maybe maybe playing for a little job security himself. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think, definitely getting to the discomfort point around there in Morgantown. So going to be fascinating. Cool rivalry one. Overall, Dad, pretty weak slate of games this yeah, weekend. Yeah. South Carolina at Georgia. Another one to look at just because it's the first Power 5 team and the first group of grownups that Georgia is actually going to have to play this season. And they're 27 and a half point favorites right now, Dad. This South Carolina team has struggled pretty mightily. I called their game in the opener against North Carolina and Lines of scrimmage-wise, the offensive tackle spot seemed like a question mark for them. Uh, you know, They were facing Drake May in that game. We'll see if Carson Beck can muster a similar kind of production. But I, I just – 27.5 is way too big a number. I don't think there's any play in you – know, you could do like an over-under in this game or something like that. I'd run screaming from the point total in this game. But it's going to be a nice litmus test for Georgia to see, all right, just check another box on the way to what we expect to be another marquee season for them. It's also a litmus test for South Carolina and, and, and Shane Beamer, right? I mean, they've they've gotten pummeled there a couple of times by Georgia since he's been there. You know, it's one of those, they're in a position where they can get more of a moral shot by playing better against a Georgia team. Can they do it? Man, I, I don't know. Spencer Rattler is complete, has a great completion percentage this year, but 
You did the game against North Carolina. He got sacked nine times yeah. in that game, so that does not bode well. I do love for South Carolina, Xavier Leggett, averaging just about 20 yards a catch. That's what they're going to need. Some of that, some ball control, tough sliding to go. It is a big number. Um, I, I'd probably take the points in this one, but uh, I, I don't think Georgia's going to struggle much here. Yeah, I think 27 and a half is just, just too big on that front. But you're right. They've got the parts necessary to make it interesting. That was the formula for them down the stretch of last right. year. And you know with Shane Beamer, you're always going to get incredibly competent special teams play a defense that will occasionally take it away. You mentioned week one, they took the ball away a couple of times, special teams led by Xavier Leggett gave them a lot of help. And so between that and a quarterback, that's got NFL arm talent thing, it'll be interesting to watch. But again, I just think up front, George is going to have them. So outmanned. I, I do too. Also let's see Javier, uh, Georgia safety, uh, Javen Bullard might be out. He hurt his ankle last week and had to leave the game may not play in this one. So you know, is that something to look at and attack as well, especially on the deep route? We'll see. Uh, again, a litmus test for South Carolina, how close they can keep it, but Georgia gets this win. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Deion Sanders and the Buffaloes have caught the attention of the football world. They have everybody on notice. And Jay Norvell, oh man, Colorado State head coach, why you got to go and poke the bear? Here's what he said ahead of their matchup. You know, we had to do a bunch of ESPN videos, and it was great. I loved it. And, and uh, But our kids came out of those videos really with a chip on their shoulder. They're tired of all that stuff. They really are tired of it. And I sat down with the ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. <laughs> so, you know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. And so I, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. And so I don't mean to take over the show, but it's your show. I'm just tired of <laughs> I mean, I'm tired of all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's, and I know everybody else is too. Okay, I don't think anybody's tired of it. It's like, this is the circus of media. Like, and he's complaining about getting 
attention for his program and this game and everything. And I, you know, Dion responded and he said, why would you yes. want to talk about us when we don't talk about nobody? All we do is go out here, work our butts off and do our job on Saturday. But when they give us ammunition, they done messed around and made it personal. And if there's one thing you don't want to do, it's make it personal with Coach Prime. Especially when you're 23 and a half point dogs. Dad, I can't figure out the strategy here if it is, hey, you know what? We're down bad in this game anyway, and we're probably going to lose big anyway. So we might as well turn this thing into a show and get our 15 minutes of fame here. Because Colorado State, with college game day rolling into town out there in Boulder, is definitely going to get their 15 minutes out of this experience, even if they also get an ass whooping to go along with it. That, that's where you choose your 15 minutes right? on manners or etiquette. I mean, is he serious in, in this? And, and of course, you're going to get the faithful there to clap. It's at a coach's show. I, I get it. They're, that coach's they're show, by they're, the way, had to be pumped that they were getting this moment. They're going to get that they, spread everywhere. They're like, yes, they, yeah, we're going yeah, viral. Yeah. We're aggregated. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Yeah, is, is, this, is, this the, is this the kind of attention we want? Because now Dion's going to lay 30 more on us than he probably was going to uh, in this. And you know when he says people are sick of it? You know what he says? You know who's sick of it? Other coaches. That's who's sick of it. Because one thing, you know, when Dion made that after the first win, when he said, you know, people are, 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 well, he didn't say scared or whatever about a, t a player that you have 75% African American players and an African American coach who's talking. It's not about, there's, there's 70, 60 to 75% of African American players on all teams. That, that's where we are in football. The thing that gets people is the talk of Dion Sanders. That's what makes people uncomfortable. That's what made coaches like Jay Novell upset. Remember when Dan Lanning, when, when he talked about Colorado leaving the Pac-12? Why are we basically saying, why are we talking about them? They haven't won anything. So basically, who cares? Coaches hate this. Coaches don't like prime speaking up because that's not coach speak. That's not how coaches are supposed to talk. And Dion doesn't give a damn. And Dion has his players not giving a damn. And right now it's working for him to talk about hat and glasses. Are you serious? I mean, I'm even the, the consider the old school one, the 60 year old, you know, get off my lawn guy. Give me a break. I mean, this is where we're going to go. Take your hat and sunglasses off. Dude's been doing interviews like that forever. And now this is when you're going to say, take your glasses, your hat off when you're talking to adults. Give me a break. You are going to get smoked this game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and like a lot of that stuff tends to be like very coded yes. conversation about how people view things. Like, you know, I, I understand like Jay Norvell is another black man. Like that was part of the cell going into this matchup. Is right, you had exactly. Black head coaches at both of these institutions taking part in this rivalry game. But the language is still coded in the way that people describe that. We saw that come up a lot in the discussion. Remember around Iowa football and the policies around the program of no earrings or hats in the buildings that tend to target a certain demographic in all of this. But you're right, dad. Dion's brashness being a head coach is a lot like being a baseball player where you see success is so infrequent that for so long we squelched the personality out of the position and out of the job because you feared, all right, eventually I'm going to be on the other side of this and people are going to come for me and people are going to make me the story in a way that's negative. Deion Sanders 
for his entire life has courted the smoke. And as a coach now, he ain't going to stop courting the smoke. And it's honestly kind of seemingly become infectious right now. Him and his son were both going at Matt Rule the other week for comments they thought he made that were disparaging, talking from Nebraska's side about Colorado. And now this, honestly, Dad, what a coup for the sport. To get this kind of entertainment in the lead up to a game, it's pro wrestling right now. It's gotten me thinking, I don't know if I'm being worked over or not right now, but damn it if I'm not entertained for a game that we knew was going to be a blowout this entire time. It's well, Everybody guess, enjoys no, the yeah. beef on the line. Am I right, Caesar? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. They enjoy that. It's, I just shake my head at it because I'll always come at it from an inside-the-building perspective of what are you doing? What kind of check are you writing when you're talking to the media? Uh, can you cash it? You have to, you're making your other uh, players cash it. That's always one of the great lines of my buddy Mark Schlereth when, when Shannon Sharp would, would be talking uh, like crazy uh, on, on the line to the other team where the, when, when they play together. And Mark would be like, Shannon, you keep writing a check that I have to cash. You know, wh- why are you doing that? You know, because old linemen don't usually talk a whole lot. And Norvell, maybe this is his way. He said his kids have a chip on their shoulder as they're talking to the media in advance of this. I mean, I, I guess it's a coach's way to try and heat his kids up. But I, I guess I continue to say, that's the way you do it? The hat and the sunglasses? I mean, really? Maybe he got caught up at the coach's show? I have no idea. But going down that road was a real head-scratcher for me. It's like the Travis Kelsey-Taylor Swift situation. I want to believe that it really is like how he felt and that you're right. He did just in that moment get kind of hopped up and have something he wanted to get off his chest and that it is genuine in here because that'll make it more fun on Saturday when it goes out and we get what we got. You already saw Deion Sanders Jr. on the team there said, my dad should come out with the hat like Dale Dimidome from the Fairly Odd Parents, just a gigantic 20-gallon hat walking into the sideline he's going to make a show of it he's going to try and rub their nose in it it's going to be fun and we saw that reflected in the clip that came out from him and the team yesterday uh two things one i want to stop there before i get back to it and quickly make sure we mention what this kid tyler hunter is doing the two-way player for colorado so far this year he's played 129 of 158 offensive snaps that's 80 over 81 percent and 106 of 36 of 192 defensive snaps that's 95.8 percent it's incredible what this kid is doing had to get that out there you just don't see it nowadays and it's amazing and the next thing mike you tweeted it yesterday and i'm with you nothing like being a player out with your coach and your coach kind of going on a, on a rant and you not sure when to answer because, you know, he was yeah. trying to get the, I'm not going to take it. And then he was personal. trying to get the players to say personal first time you'd hear one player say it, then two players say it. they were always like, are, are we supposed to jump in here? He stopped talking. Do we finish his sentence? It did look uncomfortable in the beginning. Yeah, you know what? That was, and and I, I said as much last night in the timeline, and I got reminded this might be a real two Americas moment here because uh, for a lot of people that look like me, that seems very difficult. I have been told for a lot of people that look like Dion, that sort of call and response is something that um, you, you get a lot more of. So apparently that's just me being extremely white on the timeline, not being able to go and understand where he was well, going to no, insert I, that listen, call response. Well, I, I get that, but it didn't seem like the team picked it up too quick either, in all honesty. Didn't I, it? I, I think there were, again, a certain demographic of the team. I saw some right. portly-looking white guys in the background like me that I think yeah. were the voices <laughs> that you heard. 
Because you know what's worse is where you're at a sporting event and everyone's doing a chant and you don't know how many times you're all doing the chant. And then all right, of a sudden right. you're the last guy in the section that yells defense right at the end of the <laughs> <Yeah>. chant. There <laughs> were a couple of guys that I heard yell personal well after the fact that would have been my creamy white ass. So <laughs> I think definitely we learned. To America's moment there with the calm response from Deion Sanders, but his team, I'd imagine, all on the same page in what they're going to go out there and try and execute this uh, upcoming weekend. And, Dad, like, big time for them because now they take care of business here, and all of a sudden, next weekend, on the road against Oregon, we really get to see how high this thing rises. Uh, But coming up next, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, uh, let's do a wellness check on our buddy Jared Carabas next year on Gojo and Golik. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com podcast. Big news here in Boston. We are back here on Gojo and Golik. The Red Sox have fired Chief Baseball Officer Heim Bloom. So John Henry released a statement saying, while parting ways is not taken lightly, today signals a new direction for our club. Our organization has significant expectations on the field, and while Heim's efforts in revitalizing our baseball infrastructure have helped set the stage for the future, we will today begin a search for new leadership. That wasn't crafted by a PR team. Um, guys, <laughs> yeah, he wrote that himself, actually. Um, yeah, big news here in Boston, and we have our special guest, Jared Carabas, here to break it all down. Yeah, it's just like, honestly, it's, it's interesting because we framed it as a wellness check, but Jared, who, if you guys aren't familiar, is the host of Baseball is Dead podcast, and I think more aptly for this conversation, name Redacted podcast covering the Boston <laughs> Red Sox. Jared, is this actually like a good day for you? It's hard to say because I loved Heim the guy and I feel bad for him. And I do kind of, I see his side of it where if I'm him, I know in, in John Henry's statement, he mentions it too. I know that I more or less built the infrastructure for the next Red Sox championship. Like I know that if the Red Sox win the world series in the next call it, I don't know, decade that I built the backbone of that championship team more or less. So that that's a tough pill to swallow. And Jeff Passan kind of had this on the radio yesterday where he said uh, the Red Sox asked Heim Bloom to trade Mookie Betts, <clears throat> get under the luxury tax, uh, and win all at the same time. And that's a very difficult thing to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you're talking about uh, uh, a window in which you were asked to get under the luxury tax while also trading, I don't know, the second most talented or right up next to Ted Williams player in franchise history. You have to wear that right out of the gate. So you've got a target on your back from the fan base. So the fan base is saying you traded our favorite player, one of the best players to ever play. And you need to win, but you need to rebuild. 
Like you need to build up the farm system, but you can't you can't trade any prospects, but you need to win. So how are you supposed to win if you can't trade any of the prospects? Like it the whole thing just seemed to me like it was an impossible task. And this offseason is what I was just referring to as is it was phase two. Like you you did build up the farm system. They were dead last, and then they got to number five. And now this winter, you got under the luxury tax, and so now you can spend. So they had this influx of talent in the farm system that you could deal from, and you had uh, you were you had the financial flexibility of being under the luxury tax. So this offseason was en- entering phase two of okay, we built everything up, and now we go. But I'm fired. So that's why it was uh, the timing of it. I guess was confusing until it wasn't because we we had on the podcast that I I thought he was going to go big this winter. And then I started asking around just out of curiosity, different people. Hey, do you think that Heim Bloom is going to make it out of November? And I didn't get a single yes. So Mm. that's what told me that, wow, I, I guess I didn't realize that he was on the chopping block. I didn't I didn't that didn't occur to me. And Lo and behold, we get a couple of messages yesterday. Hey, uh, it's all hands on deck today. John's here. Tom's here. Sam's here. Um, kind of seems like a Grim Reaper type situation. I don't know. Maybe an hour and a half later, breaking news: Heinblum's fired. Well, ho- hopefully, in the settlement there, if they win the World Series in the next five years, he still gets a ring out of it. Since uh, he had, had built it to this point, I, I certainly wouldn't hold my breath for it. So that's news of a team that that's not going anywhere. Obviously, this year. When you look at the uh, American League this so far, Tampa Bay's on a hot run right now. Scherzer injured out for the rest of the regular season with Texas. How do you see that this American League kind of culling as we get to the the, the playoffs? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, like from a national perspective, the teams that people have given up on that aren't dead. Uh, like going into play today, the Rangers, <clears throat> they're a half game out. Of first place, not just a wild card yeah. spot. They're a half game out of first place. They won six straight games even without – uh scherzer a lot of people gave up on them when the mariners got red hot now the mariners are in third place i don't think people realize that because it's almost like uh media and headlines like we it's like oh this team is red hot and then you focus on that team and instead of following up the story saying like oh they're not as hot anymore you just kind of like let it fade away and then you don't talk about them anymore but in your head you're still thinking oh the mariners are red hot well now they're in third place the astros are in first place um in the american league east you know, you had uh, Tampa Bay started off as the best team in Major League Baseball for the first month, and then they just kind of fell off. No one talked about Tampa for the next four months. We just talked about how the Baltimore Orioles were chasing them down, and then they finally overcame them, and now they've leapfrogged into first place. Well, now you have a four-game series in Baltimore between Tampa and Baltimore uh, where you're going to be essentially deciding the American League East. And last night went to Tampa. So now they're only a game out of first place for all that running away. And we're celebrating the Baltimore Orioles. Like that's, that's a great story that they got into first place. Well, the season's not over yet and they haven't won the division. So yeah, I think those examples that you just mentioned, that's, that's two tales of teams that were just forgotten about that can still very much win their division that were written off by a lot of people. Jared, I think part of it, you mentioned at the national level, the way these things can get lost is sometimes we get distracted by the shiny object, which for so much of this season has been the situation surrounding Shohei Itani. And then, oh, by the way, they snuck in Mike Trout 
last week and all the flirtations there. Is there anything you've seen as far as teeth to the idea of the Angels actually thinking about moving Mike Trout or anything starting to go there? Yes, yes. I think the first thing that you have to look at if you're reading into it from like a psychology perspective is that they traded, they went for it when they didn't really have much of a chance. They traded for Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez. They brought in all these pieces when they probably should have sold. They probably like the, the right move should have been we were trading Shohei Otani, but instead they went for it. And then immediately after that, they put all these players on waivers. They were like, all right, <laughs> we quit. We quit. So they're already telling you we're the laughing stock of baseball, and we know that, and we don't care. Like, we're going to try to operate our team now from a perspective of we need to get, we need to shed payroll. We need to blow it up. We need to start over because if we can't win with the two best players on planet Earth, then we're doing something wrong. Like we need to tear it down and start over. So when you look at the Mike Trout contract, which is seven years, $245 million. um, Yeah, that's something that if you're trying to rebuild, you're going to have to shed yourself of. And I kind of tease this back in March when Mike Trout participated in his first World Baseball Classic. I said, this dude is going to get a taste of actual competitive baseball. And I think he's going to want more of it. That pretty much happened almost immediately. Like uh, I still have some sound clips of him talking about the the World Baseball Classic final against Japan and how he can't wait to get back and and have that feeling again. So the Angels have every reason to want to move on from Mike Trout. We don't know if Mike Trout is going to waive his no trade clause because he has a full no trade clause. That part of it hasn't been confirmed. But if you read into the comments that he had uh, back in March about how he felt in the world baseball classic. Why wouldn't you, they're giving you a get out of jail free card. If if your whole reputation, or at least the perception of you around the league is this guy doesn't care about winning. Like he, he signed with the angels, not once, but twice. That's why it was hard to feel bad for him in the first place was, Oh my God, free Mike Trout. Oh, get Mike Trout out of Anaheim. Mike Trout willingly stayed in Anaheim on two different deals. It's not that he believed in in where the organization was going. They were never going anywhere. He should know that better than anybody. I think it was a matter of, I'm comfortable here. They're paying me more money than anybody. He's a uh, $400-plus million player. A lot to like about that. I I can get comfortable losing uh, out in California with $400 million. I was going to say, it's, a, it's amazing how quickly most of the rest of us would sign up for that, too. So, uh, right. no shame there, but it sounds like we may get free Mike Trout after all at this point, if that's the indication. Either way, lots happening right now. Jared, thanks for getting us caught up on everything, man. We appreciate it. Hopefully, better days ahead for your Red Sox here. Um, please, God, please. Just, just, <laughs> just get, us, get us back to normal, please. Wow. Oh my <laughs> just God. get us back, back to normal. Okay. Well, I mean, like, you know, Dad, the Boston standard of normal is winning a championship every other year in some sport over everybody else. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. 
book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.